The scripture for this morning's sermon is 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, and in another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another, the working of miracles. And to another prophecy, and to another the ability to, dis to distinguish between spirits. And to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit, who apportions to each one individually, as he wills. Join me in prayer. Baruch Hashem, Lord, we bless your name. And we come together again reminded that though the world may be, you know, in turmoil and flux, you, the creator of all things, stand well in control. And you move in our midst by your spirit. And we would pray, Lord, for the congregation as it seeks leaders for the coming year, that those who are called by you will be called by them. And the ones who sense your call will respond. Lord, we, no matter our age, youth or elderly, as long as we are here, we have purpose. Guide us this day, as Grant shares, that we grasp that better. For there are seasons in our lives, and purpose changes with seasons. Help us to enjoy the one we are in. We ask these things in the name of the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world, Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I love you, dude. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> Leadership's a weird thing to talk about. And, you know, I, I mean, if, if it's not too bold... Um, this is not my favorite kind of sermon. I like, I, I like uh, you know, taking a passage and, and uh, digging into it and finding out what it uh, meant 2,000 years ago and trying to figure out how we apply it today. And um, that's, that's the, we're going to start Daniel next week. Oh, there's going to be a whole lot of that. I am knee deep in Daniel. It is so good. Let's get into some apocalyptic literature up in here. It's going to be good. Um, but I do think every once in a while, it's good to just, instead of that microscopic, hey, what is this passage to kind of go, hey, let's pull the, the camera out a little bit and go, let's, let's sketch something out. And as we, you know, just kind of felt led to go, hey, <clears throat> Lighthouse, it's not like we need leaders now. It's an emergency. No, it's not like that. But it is like in this season of our church, it might be good to take a few weeks and go, hey, let's at least sketch out a good idea of what biblical leadership looks like. And so a few weeks ago, we uh, talked about two, we had two images. One was a target where, look, whether or not you are going to be in church leadership somewhere, the, 
the, the call over and over on every page of the New Testament is that all of us would be developing our character into something where we are qualified to be in leadership, whether or not that's the call. Because there's no distinction between the character of a uh, leader and the character of a mature Christian, that it is Christ-like character, not a certain set of skills, not being good at oration or ancient Hebrew, although those are wonderful things, but rather what makes us qualified is a character that reflects our Savior, that people would be able to look at us, and I bet that is true. Some of the best Christian leaders you can think of, it's not that they were scholars, rather it was just like I spend time with that person I, I, there's, you know, there, there are people in my life, um, I, she's not here today, so I can pick on her. Joyce Kiros is our children's director. She prays, and I go, that woman walks with the Lord. Like, that is what a Christian prays. It's just wonderful leadership. Um, the other kind of image, not only a target, like what's the target we're headed for, but then also the image of a garden, that lighthouse, and really every local church, but especially, you know, lighthouse is our, our responsibility, that lighthouse would be a place where we are growing leaders, where people are developing, not where leadership is the, the, the cool kid club and everybody else needs to stay out of it, but rather that this would be a place where you spend time here and you will grow into that Christ-like character and a desire to lead. We talked a couple of weeks ago about if you desire to be an overseer, you desire a good thing. That's a good thing to want to do. We want to be a place where we're growing people like that. Last week, I had a puzzle. Do you remember this? And I held up a puzzle piece and we said that's the image of, of the week that we would think about, you know, if you just look at a puzzle piece and we'll look at the puzzle piece a little bit today. We'll look at like, okay, how are you crafted? But but if you just look at the puzzle piece and go, where do I fit? You're never going to figure it out. You look at any one puzzle piece and you go, this is useless. This is random colors in a weird shape. And I look in the mirror and I go, wow, random colors in a weird shape. That's what's going on. Like anybody want to talk about baseball, punk rock and theology? Just me. Okay. Well, that's a weird shape. How could God ever use me? Um, and so, um, so yeah, so you, we, we start by looking at ourselves and you're never going to turn into a leader. Rather, you look at the front of the box and you go, oh, I need to know what our mission is before I can know what my mission is. I need to know what the purpose of the church is. Jesus said he was going to build a church. What do you want to build? Before I can say, oh, how do I fit into that? You see the front of the box and you look at this one particular puzzle piece and you go, I think I have an idea where it goes. These colors match right here. That's where it goes. So we're going to kind of start this week where we left off last week, talking about the importance of the members of the body of Christ functioning in a healthy way. But we're always going to revolve around a call to lead or a call to serve. We'll get to this in a minute, but a call to lead and a call to serve, there is no distinction. What it means to be called to lead is to be called to serve. And that's not always true in organizations, but we're not an organization. What are we? I'll, say, I'll tell you that in a minute. Well, actually, let me tell you right now. If, if we were looking at target and garden and puzzle piece today, could the image in our head be that we are the family of God? Now, today's my birthday. Happy birthday, Grant. Yes, that's right. Yes, thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. 
And I am well loved. I got emails this morning from Honda. <laughs> I got emails this morning from the, the, the lady who get, was our mortgage broker. Um, yeah, and all of these say, thank you for being part of the Honda family. I go, wow, what an incredibly terrible way to use that beautiful word. Like, I'm not part of the Honda family. Basically, what they're saying is, on your birthday, don't you want to buy a Honda? <laughs> on your birthday, have, have you thought about refinancing? Right? And this is kind of one way that we use the word family. And it's, you know, so, you know, I'm calling the lady to refinance the house tomorrow, I guess. It was a good idea. No, that's not true. But I kind of want to move us away from that image of family. Because I have another image, and I can tell stories about her because she's not in the room either, but I will owe her money because that's the deal I've always had with my kids. If I tell stories about them, they get money. But Emily, our oldest, is coming into town. On, I pick her up on Tuesday. So if you call me on Tuesday, you can forget it. Um, now, I don't, can't tell you what Emily adds to our family. It's not like, well, actually, she plays bass, so we'll have a bass player next week. That'll be nice. But it's not like, wow, I'm really excited a bass player's coming. You know what I mean? And she's an artist, but I'm not going, wow, that's good. We have things that need to be painted. And, and she, you know, she's getting a master's in psychology, and it's not like, oh, good, finally somebody who can tell me what's wrong with me. You know, like, that's not, it's just that I love her, and the family is better with her in it. So, as we think about leadership, as we think about service, we need to think less about what is my exact shape and what am I good at and what are my passions and more, like how can I be a loving part of this family? Because if you have family you love, you don't need them to be good at anything, but you would like them to participate. You want to spend time with them. So leadership, there's a hundred books. Actually, one of the things that got me started is about uh, six months ago, maybe nine months ago, I listened to a podcast and it said, pastors that read a lot of theology need to read more books on leadership and pastors who read a bunch of books on leadership need to read more theology. And I was like, well, I've never read a book about leadership and I read about theology all the time. So I read some books on leadership and what I found was, it's okay. It's fine. Ten steps to being a great leader. Three ways. Okay. But what's missing from an organizational chart model is family. Instead of finding your place in the org chart, we need to think about leadership as finding my place in the family. How do I connect, build into, feed, be fed by, lean on, be someone who can be leaned on? in this family. So, just as we kind of sketch out, and this should be five sermons, and I promise to go fast, and it's going to be a little bit of a sword drill. We'll be all over in the scriptures, um, and, uh, and we'll look forward to digging into Daniel next week. But if we could just take like a biblical one, you know, in the next 25 minutes, I hope, um, like overarching, what does leadership look like in the body of Christ? Here would be the the tent poles. Here would be the, the foundational pieces. First, leadership is about serving, not power. Let me say that 75 million times. Leadership is about serving, 
not power. Not ever power, not sometimes power. When we use the word authority in Christian terms, when you use the word authority anyplace else, what you mean is what I say goes. And in the church, when we use authority, what we mean is I'm responsible for these precious people. And that is a completely different model of leadership than anywhere else. So leadership is about serving, not power. This should be abundantly clear. When we're talking about a call to leadership, we're never talking about building our kingdom. We're not even talking about building lighthouse. We're talking about preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. That's the plan. The most important passage regarding church leadership was a conversation between Jesus and the brothers James and John. You remember it well. There's going, all of the passages we will be looking at today are familiar. It's recorded a few times in the Gospels. Matthew 20, 25, and 28 is one of the clearest. They come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, can we be in charge when, we, when you come into your kingdom? Can we sit on your right and left? Like, we think we've got the stuff for leadership. And Jesus says, Jesus called to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Does that sound right? Hey guys, you've recognized that the powerful people lord it over the not powerful people? I don't think I'm breaking fresh ground to go, welcome to the world. That's just how it goes. And then Jesus said about church leadership, about leadership even in his inner circle of disciples, it shall not be so among you. Is there an amen? amen? But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. It is good to desire leadership, and by that, what we always mean is it is good to look at the family and go, how can I be a support and love and serve this family? What if, like that's true of the church, but what if we as Christians took that into leadership everywhere? That this is what it means to lead. It means to care, to serve, to build into each other. You see what leadership looks like in the rest of the world. You know what it looks like. You've been told, like I grew up playing sports. I never once had a coach be like, how can I help you? You know, not once. It was 100%. Like, well, my dad was my coach a lot. He probably cared more than most. But, um, uh, but it was 100% like, do it my way or turn in your jersey. That's the way it is in the world. And there's some worldly wisdom to that but it should never be so among us. The call, to, the call to lead is a call to serve. And I think some people shy away from a call to lead because in their heart, in their maturing Christian heart, it's articulated like a desire to serve. Well, I, I don't want to lead, but what do you need? Like, I want to serve all over the place. Well, organized service is leadership. This is what we mean by leadership. Number two, second big idea for our morning is that leadership is about you being in community. Another, I think, hurdle to leadership, how many of you show of hands grew up in church? Oh, good. Lots of us. Okay. So uh, you remember what leaders look like in your church, right? 
Do you remember? I remember. Yeah, you remember how many buttons were on the vest? And I uh, remember like just the, the overall authority with which I remember like the leaders in my church is going to the pulpit and praying and being like, thou wast heavenly as fathereth. And I was like, I don't know what's happening right now. And maybe we think, oh, I'm going to have to develop into something that's not me in order to lead. It's about developing your character into Christ-likeness, not your personality into anything except you. It is as the Holy Spirit transforms your character that you become able to serve. Not only that, but you know, I've I've been I've been in church leadership since way before I was qualified to be, and and I spent so much time trying to be other people, you know, trying to be my boss who I admired, who was a great preacher, trying to be the youth leader down the street who, you know, seemed to have more kids and was cooler, trying to be, trying to be, trying to be. One of the biggest ideas in leadership is that God is calling you, not you to act like somebody else, but the mature Christian version of you. Last week, I said something about not loving spiritual gift tests, and uh, I stand by that, but I feel bad because I know a lot of people like them, but, um, but I was in no way implying that spiritual gifting isn't important. In fact, as we talk about being a place that grows leaders, a healthy church family that is both seeing people grow in Christ-like character and growing people who will lead here and launch from here, we are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. We should never serve, never lead, never help anyone without the expectation that it will be God's grace at work in us that makes, uh, makes people's lives better, makes the church healthier, makes for successful ministry. So how does this work? Like, how is God going to use me? And how, what is the Holy Spirit's role in this? Well, the, the passage that Fenton just read to us made it pretty clear that um, well, well, I'll just go back to it. If you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, starting with 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. The variety of services, but the same Lord. And the variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let's take a break there and work through that. So here's the idea. There is great unity for all of us in by what power we serve. You are never going to serve by the power of the program you graduated from. You are never going to serve by your degree. You are never going to serve by the training you had. You are never going to serve by the power of your winsome personality and silver tongue. That is never going to be the power that helps anybody. Rather, it is always going to be the same Lord, the same God, the same Spirit. Do you see how that, those are parallel? That's all saying the same thing. It will always be God that is doing the work in you. So for each one of us, what are there, 90 people in the room today? 90 times God wants to use one of us to serve the church. 90 times, and it is the same God every time. And that is very important because that means it is not anything except God. It is not your church history experience. It is not your personality. It is God. If you are going to make a difference in the world, if you are going to build up the church, it's going to be, the, it's going to be God that does it through you. No matter if you are shy or super extroverted or you like sports or you like music or you like, you know, the boopity boop, boop, whatever it is. I don't know what, whatever it is, it's going to be God that uses you. Do you feel the freedom in that? There is unity in our source of strength. 
Which means this. If we are going to be leadership kind of people, the number one thing we will ever do to prepare ourselves for leadership is to get as close as we can to Jesus. You don't acknowledge, yeah, it's God that works through me and, and then set off to grow skills. You say it is going to be God that works through me and then you develop spiritual disciplines. I don't know if this is axiomatic. I don't know if this always works, but spiritual disciplines equal spiritual gifts. Maybe it's better to say spiritual disciplines lead to spiritual gifts. The closer you get to Jesus. You want to be a leader? Develop a prayer life. You want to be a leader? Develop a devotional life. You want to be a leader? Develop a, a life of fasting and giving. This is how leaders are developed. So we're serving the same God in the same power. It's God that works in every believer. And there's also great unity in the end goal of our service. And I think we get stuck here in leadership and service too. We go, man, I don't know what the point is. Guys, it is really simple. Verse seven said, to each is given a manifestation of the spirit. You guys know what manifestation means? It means that's what's popping out of you. If you have a volcano and there is lava coming out of it, that is a manifestation of what was going on underground. So the closer I get to Jesus, what starts popping out of me is not natural grant stuff, but rather is spirit-inspired stuff. The Holy Spirit is manifesting things. It's coming out of us. It's bursting out of every pore. For what reason? So that we can be great, so that you can have a name, so that your blog goes viral? No. For the common good of the church. God empowers each of us to accomplish the same thing. And that, in verse 7, we're told, is the common good of the church. So again, and I'll say this only 45 more times, but church service, church leadership, is not about how has God crafted me to do great things, but rather, how can I, as I get as close to Jesus as possible, be used by Him for the common good of my brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, last week we looked at that puzzle box picture and what we were talking about is like, here's the picture that we are called to be a royal priesthood, living sacrificial lives so that we shine with the love of God and so the nations will know the love of God. God is gifting you to do that. These are familiar words from the scriptures. I'm not breaking any new ground here, I know, but they will know. Do we want to be evangelists? Well, they will know what Jesus is like by the way we build into each other. So finding your place in the kingdom of God is about praying through the question, how can I build in to my Christian community? So there's great unity at the beginning. It's God who does it. And there's great unity at the end. We're going to be building the common good of the church. We're going to be building the church, edifying the church. There's great unity. We can all say that that's true of us, that God wants to use us to benefit the church, to, to be a blessing to our, our Christian family. But in the middle, Paul says, that's where the power comes from, and that's the goal. But there are a variety of gifts. There are a lot 
of services. There are a bunch of activities. Now, I would depart from some other Bible scholars, of which I am minor, um, but I would depart with some. Some would say, this is a list of all of the things that, we, that can be done in the church. I look at this list and I go, here's what I get from this. God is going to use you in all kinds of surprising ways. You're going to be able to discern things that you couldn't have without him, and that's going to be a blessing to the church. You're going to be able to teach things that you couldn't have without him, and that's going to be a blessing to the church. You're going to give mercy to other people in a way that is not natural to you, and that is going to be a blessing to the church. God is going to do all kinds of surprising things to benefit the church. Galatians 6 says it so profoundly. I wonder if Paul sums up in Galatians 6 what he's taking some time to expound on in 1 Corinthians. He says, you know what our role is? To bear one another's burdens. If we look at our role in the church and we go, man, I'm having a hard time finding a place to fit. Like I look at the skills I have, the church doesn't really do that. I I look at my passions, you know, I'm really passionate about nose whistle and Grant keeps telling me I might not be right for the worship team. What's that about? Like, you know what I mean? Like I look at what I'm passionate about and I'm crafted and whatever and this just doesn't seem. What if instead of that, you just said, how can God use me to bear the burdens of the people sitting around me on a Sunday morning? Well, now you're catching a heart for church leadership that we would bear one another's burdens. So not only do we need to have an idea about service, not power, and not only about you in community, but we also need to understand, and I'm, I'm not going to lie, this, this fits me really good. Um, this comes very naturally to me. I'm a team guy. I am no entrepreneur. I love, I love being in a band, and I love being in a dugout, and I love, I, I love being, I like meetings. I can't tell. I like being with, uh, with other people. Being in a team comes very naturally to me, but this is the biblical model of leadership, is that there is safety and wisdom in plurality, that there would be a plurality of leaders. That we would not be, well, I have that covered, but rather we would always be, hey, we need to be serving together. There's not only practical wisdom in that, because I'm not good at very many things and neither at you, and we, you know, get together and we turn into Voltron. Was it Voltron with all the robots that come together form one super robot? Come on. It's a great cartoon. Was that Is it Voltron? Thank you. Thank you. If you would flip over in your scriptures to Proverbs. This is a proverb written by uh, King Solomon. Proverbs 11. And, you know, I want to read a little bit of it. I want to read a lot of it, um, but I I won't take very long to do it. And I want you to just look at the character of the person that Solomon, I, you know, as I was reading this this week, I was really taken by how similar Solomon is talking about growing leaders into this kind of character. It so matches what Paul is talking about in Timothy, like from the people of God in the Old Testament to the people of the God in the New Testament, the kind of leaders that are needed are similar. They're people of integrity. Watch this. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. Are you with me? So uh, Proverbs 11, starting in one, a false balance 
is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Hey, we need people that are fair out in the world. No crooked businessmen, but rather people that are fair. Number two, or verse two, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Hey, humble people, you are welcome here and you are welcome in the presence of God, but your pride is not. Verse three, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. So, so far we have somebody who's fair in business, who is humble and who has integrity. We're all, I mean, we're in verse three. This sounds like somebody who should be a leader, right? Verse four, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but the righteous delivers from death. Let me translate that for you. You've heard this before. You've never seen a hearse pulling a, uh, a U-Haul, right? Like wealth is fine, but in the day of trouble, it's not gonna do you any good. So we're looking for people who are humble, who are fair in business, who have, who have integrity and who understand what wealth is for. The righteous of the blameless keep his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. We need people who are smart enough not to, uh, not to live wicked lives, but rather have righteousness that keeps them blameless. Verse six, the righteous of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. Righteous living is safer than treacherous living. Verse seven, um, when the wicked dies, his hope will perish and the expectations of wealth perish too. Yep. Look, we got to have people who are living for, for heavenly blessing, not just earthly riches. Verse 8, the righteous is delivered from trouble and the wicked walks into it instead. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous um, will, are, are delivered. All of this about live a righteous life. Verse 7 has this eternal perspective. Verse 8 says righteous living makes us wise. Verse 9, righteous living makes us in control of our speech. With his mouth, the godless would, would destroy his neighbor. We don't need people running their mouth all around town. Rather have people who show restraint there. Verses 10 and 11. Um, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts uh, of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. Look, we all are going to be better off if righteous people are leading. Verse 12 and 13. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. Hey, um, next time you're on Facebook. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. It's just dumb to belittle your neighbor. Uh, righteous living means avoiding slander, avoiding gossip. Man, I look at that list and I go, we should find people like that and just give them the reins. Put a crown on their head, maybe make a throne and be like, you're our guy. This is who we want to lead. But then... After that picture of just this person of incredible integrity, an incredible character, we look at verse 14. Where there is no guidance, a people fall, but an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Two things that verse 14 is going to tell you. First of all, if there's no guidance, people fall. It would affirm the importance of leadership. We don't need Christian consumers of religious goods. We're not a business. We don't sell stuff. Rather, what we and every church and the church needs is people who understand, oh no, leadership's important. It's not nothing. I'm developing my character so someday a church could count on me. 
We need people who are growing in Christ-like character. But then verse 14 says something that might be surprising if you haven't heard it before. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So leadership is vital, but it should never be done alone. Leadership must always be done in community, in teams. You know, if you've been alive for a while and worked on a committee or a team or something at any point, you go, you know, there might be some weaknesses there, especially if you have selfish people on those teams, on those committees, on those councils. You know some of the jokes. You've heard about the car that was designed by committee, right? It has five steering wheels, 10 sets of, 10 sets of brakes, and no engine. You've heard that a giraffe is just a horse that was built by committee. Which means it has to be teams of people who have Christ-like character. Not who are good at business, but who are fair at business. Who have humility. Who live righteous lives. Who don't slander their neighbor. Now you put a team of people like that together and you're cooking with gas. You know, I thought about this, and I'll, I'll be done momentarily, but, but as I was thinking about this, I thought, this is wisdom that comes from Solomon. Solomon was a king. Like, did Solomon lead with a plurality of leaders? He, was, he sat on a throne. He was ruled with all authority. And that was a big part of his downfall. But also, this is very important to know. This side of the cross and the empty tomb We don't need a king. We have one. There's no throne here to have. He's already sitting on it. Where's footstool? By God's grace. Rather, it's teams of servants who are saying, God, how could you use, you be the power to use me, this weird-shaped little puzzle piece, in order to work with other people in my Christian community that I might build the church. Lastly, leadership is about unity, not not uniformity. And I'm grateful for this. We're not looking for people who all think the same, act the same, feel the same way about everything. And this is a strange passage, but would you turn with me to Colossians 4, and I'll just take a minute. Um, this is, you know, the kind of passage that you might just kind of skip over as you're reading through the scriptures because it's just Paul taking almost a whole chapter just to say hello and goodbye to people. And I want to read you this list of names. And I want to make a comment about some of the names. Because let me tell you, this point should be uh, subtitled, Weird Teams Are Good Teams. Weird teams are the best teams. Watch. Also, if you're expecting a child, there's some excellent baby names in here. (laughs) We'll start with Tychicus. I couldn't talk Tiffany into Tychicus Combs. I thought thought it would have been good. (laughs) Look at this. Look at the team around Paul. Don't we have Paul up on a pedestal where we go, oh, Paul planted 
many church and churches and was the missionary to the Gentiles and wrote like a third of your New Testament. And oh, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul never worked on his own. The one time we have a picture of Paul on his own, he's wandering around Athens waiting for his friends. Paul was a team guy. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know um, how we are and that he may encourage our hearts. Tychicus was the one carrying the letter And how this would work is Tychicus was not just the delivery service, but he would read the letter and expound on it. He had helped Paul craft the letter, and he would show up in town at Colossae and go, hey, I got a letter from Paul, and he would read it, and they would go, what's that mean? And he would say, well, here's here's God's heart. And he would, there would be back and forth, and he was the preacher delivering this message. And then, well, who's with him? So I've sent you Tychicus, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has taken place. Well, along with that being an excellent baby name, Onesimus. Do you remember Onesimus? He's a runaway slave. He's the topic of the book of Philemon. Onesimus, our beloved brother. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit does when you give your life to him. When you give your life to Jesus, you go from runaway slave to beloved brother. Tychicus and Onesimus were not starting a softball team together. And yet, in the body of Christ, this is what a team looks like. So Onesimus is there, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has taken place here. Um, uh, Oh, I can't even do it. Uh, I had this practice. Arsitarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Mark! Mark! You ever read Acts? How do we feel about Mark? Mark ran away. Mark deserted the ministry. That guy has let us down before. So much. Mark was such a pain that Barnabas and Paul broke up. And now, Paul, some years later, Paul, Barnabas, and Mark back together. Because I'll tell you what God does is mends those fences. Grows people up. Mark was a joker. He's not anymore. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Well, we know about Barnabas. He'd been separated from Paul years ago, and now they are together. Then there's this person. I'll just give you the list. There's this person named Jesus who went by justice. I imagine in the early church, if your name was Jesus, you probably went by a nickname. We don't know a lot about justice. Epaphras and Luke and Demas. Well, time out. These are Greek names. Luke, we know, is a doctor. This is why we know he's a doctor. Paul calls him my beloved doctor. Demas, in 2 Timothy, we're told that Demas, too, at one point had abandoned Paul. Do you remember Paul? what Paul said about Demas in 2 Timothy? He said that he has left me because of his love for this present world. So I don't know what... Demas' problem was he had gotten out of ministry because he wanted money or he wanted power or maybe he met a girl. I have no idea. But whatever it was, there's been reconciliation. We go on and Paul starts saying, hey, 
Say hi to people for me. Look at verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Let me state the obvious. Nympha's a girl. I thought we had this idea that leaders were men in the New Testament. Well, Nympha's leading a church. The church meets at her house. I've heard people kind of explain that away by going, well, it might be at her house, but certainly there were men leading at her house. And I was like, that's not there. Maybe, but you'd have to import that. It just says there's a church in Nympha's house. Lydia started two churches. Priscilla's name comes before Aquila. God wants to use you in leadership. God wants your character to grow. God wants to use you in leadership with other Christians. It's never going to be you. There are a variety of ways to do it. I've seen this in youth ministry forever. One of the best parts about youth ministry is volunteers that Watching volunteers serve the kids is absolutely incredible. You want to volunteer? We've got youth kids that want you to pour into them. But some youth volunteers played dodgeball. Some played chess. Some were wild and wacky and there was a lot of woo-hooing going on. Others were quiet and taught the kids to knit. Seriously, I had uh, this, this lady who taught all of my like ADD junior high dudes to knit. It was amazing. It was the first time I ever was able to get through a Bible study. They were just sitting there. It's great. Something to do with their hands. I have not noticed that there is one personality type or skill set that makes people good at ministry. I've noticed that it's a heart to serve and serve in teams. And trust that God can use you. So practically, what do we do? Well, first we start by going, you know, I, I want to take my place in the family. I don't want church, I don't want Lighthouse to just be my church family like I bought a car from Honda and so I'm part of the Honda family. No, I want to love these people. I like actually want to, you know, share ups and downs and go through life. The first thing you do is you get close to Jesus. We don't need any leaders that aren't close to Jesus. And then you get close to Jesus' family. I wish I could, I wish I had words to say how important just showing up is and, and being in other people's lives. Just phone calls, just coming and eating some chili on the wood chips. And then you find ways to build into Find your specific place where you can be great. No, there's no need for that. But rather you find how you could build into the common good. And you watch God bind our hearts together in love. Let me pray and we'll sing a song. Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for the call to be in a family. Lord, I... I love this church family. This is a wonderful group of folks. And I pray, Lord, that as, as you um, continue to call us to serve each other well, to lead each other well, Lord, that it would equal deep fruit. Lord, we'd love if you would add to our numbers, but that's not the most important thing to us. Lord, rather that you would 
continue to deepen our roots in you, that we would bear the fruit of love and joy and peace, that this would be a place where we t- teach each other to forgive, where we teach each other to, uh, to, to grow in the disciplines, where this is a sweet place completely centered on you, where each of us find our piece of the puzzle. God, would you grow us into something beautiful? In Jesus' name, amen.